John, I can't tell you how excited I am about the Cinephile's new sponsor, an absolutely incredible game, Marvel Strike Force. Now, anyone who's listened to the show knows that I've been reading comic books since I was five years old, and this is like a comic book fan's dream come true. You could create a mobile squad and play as your favorite Marvel characters. I mean, everyone is there. The Punisher, Vision, Black Panther, Cap, or even my favorite Marvel character of all time, Daredevil. Your goal is to power up those characters, unlock gear, and use them to compete in player versus player mode, alliance mode, and real-time arena. Yes, Stephen, as we speak, they are enjoying their six-year anniversary. Six years, wow. And you know what that means? Free stuff just for signing up via their unique link in the description. The anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses. If you complete each event, you can receive special rewards and skins. Completing every single mission throughout the entire anniversary will result in an even more special reward. Make sure to log in each day and each week to take advantage of all the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out, y'all. Check out that unique promo code, and for every new user, please follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL. Once again, thank you so much to Marvel Strike Force. We're very, very excited to have you sponsoring this episode. Enough! You are all of you beneath me. I am a god, you dull creature, and I will not be bullied by that. Puny god. Hello and welcome once again to The Cinephiles, where each week we enter the world of a great film. We explore its themes, the history, the filmmaking, and the influence it has on us today. My name is Steve Morris. I'm a filmmaker and directing instructor in Los Angeles, California. Hello, everyone. My name is John Roke. I'm a writer, producer, and host uh, here in San Diego, California. Uh, I'm excited to be jumping back into the world of the Avengers and fighting these Chitauri. <laughs> Gotta get the Chitauri. But, John, before we do, yeah. I cannot believe that it is, in fact... Almost our 300th episode. It's kind of crazy. And and so here's what we're going to do. We've been talking. We were literally just talking off mic about what our plans were. And this is what it's going to be. We're going to do a Q&A, which you can all submit questions for. We would love you to hear your questions. And if you're on Patreon, you can submit them directly there. If not, our email address is the cinephiles1941, the year of Citizen Kane, at gmail.com. Send your questions in. We can't wait to get them and answer them. But that's not all we're doing. Right, John? No, no, we're not. We, we, you know, we want to say how much we appreciate our patrons supporting us and being a part of the journey that we've been on and, and just being there for us uh, every month uh, when we're doing shows and sending in their support. And so we've decided to do two hours of live Q&A with our uh, higher end patrons. Yeah, so what we're going to do, we have decided that every three months, we are going to have a live conversation with our patrons, and we're starting at the $10 above level, and we're going to have an hour-long conversation, and then for our $25 above level, we're going to do a second hour. So it's going to be what I think will be a really intimate conversation with the most important cinephiles that support the show at the $25 and above level, and if you join right now at patreon.com slash the cinephiles, you can not only participate in those conversations, conversations but you also can hear our very first watch along which is going to be with air force one and that is coming out in the next week 
I believe. And we're going to be doing those once a month. So once a month, watch alongs every three months, these live conversations for the $10 and $25 above level. And we cannot wait to join you for those. Yeah, absolutely. I'm looking forward to this because, you know, we want to be more interactive. It's a way of giving you more bang for your buck for the patron, the patrons. So if you haven't joined uh, the Patreon, you can go and do that now at uh, patreon.com slash the cinephiles. See those tiers you can join at and the benefits you'll be getting it from uh, from them. And, you know, we want to add more things. We want to encourage you all to uh, support us and uh, contribute to helping us keep this show going for many years to come. And the way you do that is by joining the Patreon. And, you know, if you want to send in some suggestions with your emails attached to your questions or whatever that you think you'd like to see as benefits or possible um, uh, things you'd like us to do in in exchange for supporting the uh, show, feel free to do so as well. There have been so many great suggestions for you, both for our shorts and for movies that you wanted us to do. And honestly, we, we love all of our patrons and we're very grateful for their support. But right now... John, we are on a helicarrier. We are. There was just a huge explosion. We're in the middle of an argument, and all of a sudden, all hell has broken loose. And I would like to approach this in a different way. Okay. I am surprising my partner, John, with this idea. I had it a couple of days ago. But, John, do you remember when we did Love Actually and we decided to break that movie down into individual stories? Sure. In this action sequence, we've got everybody fighting, and it's just continually cutting back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And I actually think it would be really hard to describe. So here is what I have done. I've broken these down into the Hulk, Natasha, Thor story to the Cap and Iron Man story. So if it's cool with you, I would like to follow those in sequence rather than just bounce back and forth, bounce back and forth. Do it. So let's start with... Natasha and Bruce. There's been a huge explosion. They've fallen through the floor. Natasha is talking to Bruce, whose face is not facing us. We're okay, right? And we already know where this one is going. Yeah. She's trying to calm him down. And Bruce, you gotta fight it. This is just what Loki wants. And what's interesting to me is down the line, who is gonna be the person most able to calm down the Hulk? Yes, unfortunately, it is going to be Black Widow with something that's been uh, um, made yeah. fun of for quite some time. But this is, I guess, the essence of it. And I guess the beginning of it was back earlier in the movie when she goes to see him right. and try to convince him to be part of the Avengers. So clearly there was a pattern here that Joss Whedon was building because, of course, he directed the first two movies and wanted to have Black Widow have this relationship with the Hulk. And here's a moment where it becomes real unsettling what happens between them Um even though she's trying her best to calm him down. And when we get to Avengers 2, we're definitely going to talk about that because I I'm I think it's really problematic too. Like I the Natasha Bruce relationship I totally like. The Natasha calming down the Hulk relationship is is weird. Um but the moment that is really scary is she says, I swear on my life, I will get you out of this. You will walk away. And he turns to her in the half Bruce, half Hulk stage with a deep voice and says your life and it is as you say really scary yeah and here's something that joss whedon said which i think is really interesting which is that generally what we've seen with the hulk there's always the thing of bad guys are messing with bruce banner and it's like oh you don't know what you're getting into and that's how the hulk first appears yeah and what joss wanted to do was he wanted to make the hulk a really scary threat to one of our people to the good people not to the bad people and that's what happens here interesting and he hulks out 
and she is trying to hide and man it works the hulk is real scary in this sequence i mean him coming through i mean it's a horror movie that breaks out in the middle of this of this uh superhero movie this is this horror sequence you know and by the way marvel has had more connections to horror than people think and certainly we're seeing it now as a werewolf by night has come out already for those of you who haven't seen it i hope you do see it uh blade is coming uh dracula is going to be coming so the horror aspect of marvel the avengers zombie stuff uh that is going to be coming you know we saw it in what if and what have you so there there is that aspect of it that i think has always been around uh marvel so it's nice to see that even from the avengers movie they understood that this was an element they wanted to have somewhere in the marvel universe and this was a nice kind of dry run to give you a taste of it I'm glad you brought that up because one of the most important lessons to me is that people think of comic books as a genre rather than a medium. And there's great horror comics and there's great serious comics and there's great. And, and, and I like that Marvel is sort of flexing some of that stuff. Yeah, absolutely. You know? Um, And you're right, man. You, You started to mention it, that shot of her running towards camera and the Hulk just destroying things as he charges behind her is amazing. It's very similar to when he becomes the Hulk in the factory yeah, uh, uh, Edward Norton does right, yeah. and they basically admit that it's canon in the movie in Avengers when yeah. he says, "Oh, I I broke Harlem or whatever." So clearly, this is supposed to be the same person. So that moment where he just destroys that um, coming out of the steam and everything like that, it is it is super scary. It's like a runaway train coming after you. And by the way, how they did this was frequently they had Mark Ruffalo doing motion capture Mm. on the set as they were shooting. And then he would do motion capture again in post as they're kind of redoing things. And just as it looks like he's about to get her, the Thor comes in out of nowhere and knocks him down. And now we have a Thor Hulk fight. Yeah. And it was scary. Like he was, I mean, the, if you notice what he's doing, which is really weird. And, of course, with all now with the pers- about the perspective of the Joss Whedon stuff and the really terrible stories you heard in that article or read in that article about him and his treatment of women, they have a um, CGI Hulk that literally moves his hand to backhander, mm. which, is, which I had never noticed before for whatever reason. And in that moment, I was watching and he yanks his hand back to backhander. So it's like it's a weird decision to make that the move you know now looking back and i mean anytime it's a weird decision obviously but even more so now in retrospect when you think of all the uh things that have come out since so just an interesting moment for that gave me pause when i was watching the movie this time around you know what i wish had happened is is and it's in um the incredible hulk movie with ed norton and there's the fight scene with tim roth Yes. Now he's he's got a little bit super soldiery when he does it, right. but it actually showed how a a normalish human can go up against the Hulk. Yeah, right. I wish they had given Natasha some things where she did things cool that messed up the Hulk. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, a little bit like used her electricity or whatever things she might have. You know, in yeah. preparation. Or, yeah, or ran him into a trap or some you know something right. because right. all she's doing right now is running. Yeah, you know. Um, it's always fun when Thor fights the Hulk. <laughs> <laughs> True. And he's trying to he's trying to kind of talk him down. We are not your enemy's banner. And then there's this moment where Thor holds his hand out. And I love that it just it just takes a you know he's waiting for the hammer, mm-hmm. but it just takes a little bit too long for it to get there. And yeah. then what it finally does, that uppercut with the hammer hitting Hulk is great. Absolutely. The slow motion and stuff is great. Yeah. Absolutely. yeah. Um, and then also that, okay, that would obviously 
kill any other right, you know, right. creature and, and it just makes him angry and by the way he rips like the wing off of a plane yeah i had no idea where that plane came from <laughs> that is the plane from true lies oh. <laughs> <laughs> which i That's just think perfect. is funny that is uh, perfect i also love the that how thor uses the hammer to weigh him down and the moment where hulk goes to pick up the hammer and can't pick it up yeah that's great. Yeah, agreed. Uh, and here's something I found out that I really like is this goes into post and you know Ruffalo's up at ILM doing a bunch of motion capture and then it goes off to the uh the effects people to the animators and he wrote the animators all the CG people a letter that basically says we are all playing the Hulk together and wow. I've taken it as far as I can and now he belongs to you. Wow. Isn't that classy? Yeah, kind of classy, yeah. <laughs> but needless to say, Thor is not doing well against the Hulk. And they and on the bridge, they basically say, Hulk's going to tear this whole ship apart. And they call out some jets to target the Hulk. Yeah. <laughs> and they fly around. They say, target acquired. Open fire on Hulk, <laughs> which only pisses him off. Yeah. And the moment that the pilot realizes that Hulk is jumping out to get him is great. Utter fear. Just utter fear. Yeah. And my favorite little bit is the guy ejects and Hulk catches him mm-hmm. as he ejects. Is, did that guy die? I don't think so. <laughs> I think okay. found, somehow they found a way for him not to die. But yeah, I don't think he died. And the plane blows up. And that is the end. That's the last we see of Hulk for a while. Take us to the water. We're flying blind. Navigation's recalibrating after the engine failure. Is the sun coming up? Yes, sir. Then put it on the left. Uh, which I think is funny. Um, and then uh, Barton fires an arrow that <laughs> jacks into the computer. That yeah. seems like an impressive shot and is shutting everything down. And now that seems like the whole helicarrier is going to go down. It's Barton. He took out our systems. He's headed for the detention level. Does anybody copy? And Natasha dazed yeah. and looking scared says. This is Agent Romanoff. You copy. And now we get natasha fighting clint yeah it's a really good fight scene yeah i agree yeah apparently when they were filming it halfway through it uh jeremy renner threw his neck out oh and they had to stop and basically they said well let's just we're going to bring in a stunt person to complete the fight scene and it sounds like natasha said no i don't want to do this fight we've practiced this fight scene you know jeremy and i i want to complete it together and so they delayed it till later in the schedule when his neck was feeling better to actually shoot it with two of them. Wow. Which I think is again. Yeah. Um, and it ends with her slamming his head into a railing and he goes down. And just in that moment, his eyes clear. Yeah. Now we have uh, Loki who's being released from the cell and there is Thor. No! Charges him. Loki disappears. Thor's in the cell. Are you ever not going to fall for that? And he is about to drop Thor in the big uh, Hulk cage. And there's Coulson with a big gun. We started working on the prototype after you sent the destroyer. Even I don't know what it does. And there's a moment of, yes! <laughs> Agent Coulson, he's got him! He's gonna be the... And then he gets stabbed from behind. Yeah. It's a super shocking. I remember being in the theater in the L Cap, because that's where I saw this with a bunch of people, and us, our crew, and I remember just letting out this scream. You know, when it happened, because I was so shocked. I, it's so funny how attached you have become to Coulson. Yeah, yeah, And Thor is dropping in the cage, and it's spinning. He's trying to get his footing to get out, and finally he does crash his way out. Yeah. 
And now we're going to tell the story of Cap and Iron Man. And obviously, as I said, all of these things are actually intercut. They're all happening simultaneously. Yeah. But but this is really central to the story. Their job is to fix this one engine that's gone out. And Stark tells Cap to look in some control panel, and he looks at it. What's it look like in there? It seems to run on some form of electricity. Well, you're not wrong. And I think, it's not that I think this is poorly done. Right. I think this is a mistake, the, okay. what they do here, which is what they're going to do is that Tony has to basically jumpstart this propeller. Yes. And Cap says, if you go in there, you're going to get shredded. Right. And Tony says, no, no, if you do this, you know, you'll give me a moment to get out. Right. This is to Tony Stark clearly risking his life yeah. in front yeah, yeah. of Cap. Yeah. The end of the movie is Tony risking his life, proving that what Cap thought of him isn't true. Right. By having this scene in the middle, I think it lessens the scene at the end. Do oh. you see what I mean? Well, we just saw it. Tony is risking his life. Right. If, if there had been a way that, Cap, and Cap sees it, if there had been a way that either Tony chooses not to risk his life yeah. and cuts the wire, which is what he, you know, because Cap has said, you wouldn't jump on the wire to save the other guys. He goes, well, I think I would just cut the wire. If we see Tony have a, an opportunity to sacrifice his life and instead he does some clever thing and doesn't do it, we would have maintained the tension for the end of the film. I think you're, I think we can feel, I think, how can I say this? I think analyzing it this way, I can see how it undercuts that ending. Yeah. Um, but I think that because everyone is fighting at the same time yeah, and he's not doing anything that's like, oh my God, you're the only one that can do this. It doesn't, it's not, there's not a highlight on it. Whereas I agree, later, totally. when he's taking the nuclear weapon into the thing, no one else can do that. And right. so it makes it more obvious what he's doing there, as opposed to here, he's part of multiple people who are trying to stop this thing from going down, you know? And so I don't think it comes, I don't think it's, it's as highlighted, but I absolutely understand your perspective on it. And yeah, I guess if you were breaking it down, like we do on the cinephiles, yeah. you, you could, the construction of it doesn't a hundred percent work. Well, and what I would say is it's not that it's a negative. It all right. totally works. Right. What I think what I'm saying is more is that if you had had Tony disappoint Cap on some level, right. it would have added more tension to the later one. I understand. But then yeah. by that point, you're making Cap the the protagonist of the movie. If you make him in if you make Tony in deference to Cap, then you've made him the protagonist of the movie. And I think they wanted to walk that line to make everyone somewhat equal. Uh, and they're both leaders in that way but again i i totally take your point i can see how that can be seen that way for sure but tony and the other way as well yeah yeah but tony jumps into the propellers and he's doing st stuff and cap is hanging out by this red lever to save him and then of course the bad guys show up and cap has to fight his way back and the moment at which tony goes okay pull the lever and cap can't do it yeah and then the thing starts speeding up and tony goes uh-oh <laughs> is a fun moment and of course cap fights his way back and eventually pulls the lever and we're all and the thing you know we're all saved yeah tony knocks out the dude who was uh essentially threatening cap's life with the machine gun or whatever and then we're back with colson and one last moment with loki and yeah. he says to loki you're going to lose am i it's in your nature your heroes are scattered your floating fortress falls from the sky where is my disadvantage? And I find Coulson's answer very interesting, and I would like to know what your thoughts on it are. Okay. He says, You lack conviction. Yeah. 
What does that mean? Uh, Colson's right. You lack conviction. You're not 100% committed to this. You're not. And there's something that Colson has figured out because Colson's good at reading people uh, and uh, creatures, entities, demigods, gods, whatever you want to say. Yeah. He's got an instinct for it. He's got a knack for it. And so I think what he's saying to him is he's 100% accurate. And later on during the fight in New York, we'll see Loki essentially admit to Thor that he can't stop it uh, and that it's too late. Uh, so he knows he's in over his head. And so in this moment, um, Coulson is calling him out and saying and using him to get him closer because he's playing on his ego, too, and playing on his um, uh, insecurities by saying these things. So it drags, it kind of moves Loki closer to him. So he knows what he's doing. He's playing with Loki. You don't get to be in the position Colson is in without knowing how to play mind games with people and play on their insecurities or play on their things. And that's what he's doing. And that's why Loki moves forward towards him. And he's right. The, Loki doesn't have the conviction to do this. And in fact, the whole Loki series, uh, TV series, is about him wondering where his place in all of this is. So. It's interesting you say that he's playing mind games with the person who theoretically is the ultimate mind game player. You, you would think. Yeah, you would yeah. think. And actually, I think you're totally right. And I I don't think I fully grasp Loki until just listening to you just now, mm. which is that he is spending all this time trying to be something that he's not. Yes. You know? He's not is a that, ruler. He's no. Not. No. But he wants to believe he that wants, he, he's like, a, you know, he's the spoiled kid who wants to believe that he can be. And when he can't be the king as the good guy, he's like, well, then I'll be the fucking king as the bad guy. Right. Richard the third. Yeah. You know, if, yeah. I, if I cannot rule these days, I shall prove a villain. These yeah. days, And that's basically what he's doing. But he's not. But that's not actually who he is. Right. Right. Because yeah. he's trying to be that. Right. Richard yeah. actually became that. He, totally. he, he, he doesn't have the conviction to even do that because. He's really caught up in this, like what like a middle child syndrome. He's really caught up in the fact that his father he finds out his father's not his real father. So there's a lot of emotional shit that he's navigating here over these next few movies. And certainly starting here, yeah. we're laying the seeds. And I think this is Feige laying the seeds of where we're gonna take they're gonna take the Loki character. And then <laughs> Loki starts to say something and Colson <laughs> opens fire. I don't think I So that's what it does. But what's great is that that's Coulson getting him back for stabbing him from behind. Yeah. At least Coulson did it to his face in front of him. By the way, in the original shot, yeah. Loki hits the wall and bounces off it. And they decided that didn't work. And so in post, they had him go through the wall. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, but Loki does get away. And now we have this moment. Nick Fury has found Agent Coulson, oh. who says, Sorry, boss. The guy rabbited. Just stay awake. Eyes on me. Oh, I'm clocking out here. And then this last moment. It's okay, boss. This was never gonna work. If they didn't have something to And dies. <laughs> I was so upset in the theater when Colson died. <laughs> oh, yeah. We didn't think that there was going to be a death, yeah. right? We, it just didn't occur to us. And then when it happens and it's Coulson, it's a it's it's a significant enough death for yeah. it to affect us, but not any of the main main characters. So it's a, such smart move to have it be Coulson. I do kind of wish that Coulson didn't say that he's going to essentially that he knows he's going to be thing, the thing that brings the Avengers. To Why? Him. I don't like I would have liked it just happening and not having him say it. Oh, my God. Really? Oh, I yeah. can't disagree with you more. I think it's. It's in a way it 
it condones what Fury's about to do mm. in oh, a tacit yeah, way before he dies. So for him to have done it to Colson, I think, with Colson not knowing, I think that would have been worse. That's kind of a spitting on his memory. Uh, and this way, Colson is almost saying, like, it's okay. I know what you're going to do, you know? Okay. You might have turned me around. I know, I, like, feel yeah. how you want to feel about it. I'm just saying that's that's the way I took it. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah. and, and the moment, too, where he, over the radio we hear Colson is down and there's a reaction around oh, the bridge. and A medical team is on its way to your location. They're here. They called it. That's brutal. Yeah. We're back sitting around the big table, and Nick Fury says... These were in Phil Colson's jacket. Guess he never did get you to sign them. And there are the bloody trading cards. Yeah. And Fury basically comes clean. Yeah, we built some weapons. I never put all my chips on that number, though, because I was playing something even riskier. The idea was to bring together a group of remarkable people. See if they could become something more. And Stark, Tony Stark, like, stands up. He has this huge reaction. Yeah. And basically walks out of the room. Yet again, Stark of all people getting up to walk out of the room. Well, I think, you know, Tony Stark is an emotional, sensitive person who uses <laughs> all this arrogant bluster to pretend that he's not. Yeah, yeah, true. You know? Mm-hmm. I mean, only a really fragile guy behaves that way, I think. Yeah. Got all his daddy issues and his... Certainly. There's a lot of stuff. By the way, we see Thor now on the ground. He finds his hammer. He reaches out to take the hammer, closes his hand into a fist, yeah. and then it's going to take like 15 minutes before he actually picks it up. Yeah. Because <laughs> they're going to, because I'm sure something else happened, but they rearrange things in post. Yeah, but it, it, it's it's about him feeling not worthy, you know, because he got tricked mm. by Loki. Ah. Because he got tricked by Loki he, in his mind. Once again, just like you said, all these people are fucked up from the daddy issues. Totally, it was yeah. so prevalent through the Marvel universe. You know, yeah. I'd, I'd hate to have been Black Widow in the room with these guys, all like fucking daddy issues screaming out of them every time they speak. So, like, that's what's going on here. That's why Thor kind of closes his hand, and it takes a while before he embraces the hammer again and decides he's going to get back in the fight. Cut to naked Bruce Banner into the <laughs> and there is Harry Dean Stanton. Harry Dean Stanton, so good. You saw the whole thing. Right through the ceiling, big and green and buck-ass nude. Want to know how this came about? Yeah, please. So Seamus McGarvey, who's the cinematographer, was at the same time he was making The Avengers, filming this documentary on Harry Dean Stanton. Wow. Which I think is called Pulp Fiction. I've heard about it. I've never seen it. Um, And so he said, it's basically he said, look, I'm working with this guy. Why don't we cut? Why don't we bring him in? That's why he came in to do this part. Apparently, it was a lot longer. Oh, wow. uh, there's more See? stuff here that they okay. cut down. Is it in the deleted scenes of the of the? I haven't oh. seen a deleted okay. scene on this one. I don't. Oh, I think I did watch all the deleted scenes for this. I don't. I don't always because usually there there's a reason they were cut out of the movie. You know, <laughs> spoken like a true director. <laughs> Absolutely, <laughs> an editor, uh, and an editor, more an editor. <laughs> uh, it's it's so funny. There's so much time spent watching bad footage as an editor that I don't. I never seek it out. <laughs> you know, for you, I know you always want to see all. Oh, I do. Yeah. I love seeing it because for me, I'm watching what a director was thinking, what a, you know, what a uh, scriptwriter was thinking, uh, and then watching the actor work because there might be something that, like, an element or a level in the performance that I hadn't like mm. that I hadn't thought to that i i get that we don't see in the footage that did make the cut 
So I think it's always fun to see that kind of stuff. The ultimate one for me, by the way, is a movie that I that someday maybe will re- redo, mm-hmm. which is Amadeus. Which oh, is, yeah. yeah. The, you look at those deleted scenes, and it is exactly perfectly clear why they shouldn't be in the movie. Yes, yes. Even though they do add um, layers to the relationships with Stanzi and, uh, and uh, Salieri, for sure. But in the end, it's better the route they chose. It's yeah, it, too obvious. Yep. And it puts a highlight on it for the audience, which you don't need in a film that intelligent. Well, and it fundamentally changes the character of Salieri. Yeah. Even though, but it's, but they're beautifully acted. They're beautifully shot. They're well-written They're And it's, I'm glad they're not in the movie. Anyway, Clint wakes up, he's in restraints and you see him. He's trying to kind of, I guess, shake off the rest of Loki. Have you ever had someone take your brain and play? You know what it's like to be unmade. And she says, you know that I do. I love their relationship. Oh, yeah. Very yeah. cool. Uh, and he asks, why am I back? And she says, cognitive recalibration. I hit you really hard in the head. There's one moment I really like where Clint says, how many agents? Don't. Don't do that to yourself, Clint. If anyone can say that to him, it's her. Yeah. Because they both probably, as she said earlier, have a lot of red on their ledger. Yeah. Yeah. And they're just going like, you can't, you can't look back at that stuff. You're a spy. Not a soldier. Now you want to wade into a war. Why? What did Loki do to you? And this is where we see that even though she played Loki, he still got to her. Yes, he did. He didn't just... I've been compromised. I got rid of my ledger. I've been compromised is a huge thing to say. Tony and Steve... Joss Whedon said he wrote this scene at least a dozen times, maybe more. And I totally get this. In every screenplay I've ever written, there's one scene I rewrote and rewrote and rewrote. And it's like not the most dramatic scene usually and not. It's just a scene that you have to get from here to there. Yeah. And you keep trying different ways to do it. And it keeps not working and not working. Can I ask you as a writer, as a writer and director and editor here, is it the, do you think more often than not, these are linchpin scenes? Yeah, they're not the most dramatic, as you said. They're not the climactic scenes, but they're the linchpin scenes. Like this scene has to work, so the rest of the movie works. Well, yeah, and in particular, I mean, for me, and that's what this scene is. It's a scene where there's character turns. Yeah, I have to start the scene with the characters in this place, and at the end of the scene, they have to be fully in this place. Yeah, and I have to get certain piece of information out. You know, and 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 frequently, and this is what's interesting about this. Initially, this was a yelling scene. Yeah. With them yelling at each other. And Robert Downey Jr. said, I, this isn't working for me. Oh, wow. I can't do it this way. And so it's, sometimes it's finding the right tone. It's fine. And it's thinking like, well, again, I'll, I'll say this over and over again. Yeah. Where are your characters? Check in with them emotionally. How are they feeling? And frequently, I, I think I, I know I've said it many times, but Chuck Rosen, who was one of my teachers, who was the executive producer on 90210 back in the day. Yeah. One of his rules was, if you're having problems with a scene, it's probably from something that you didn't set up well in the scenes before or didn't understand about your characters. And so you're trying to get them to do things that they don't want to do. And so you have to go back and think, okay, well, how did I get here? And then, and then make the change. This is, this is why you guys are maniacs. Cause you have to do that and go back and go look at it and put it together. And like, God damn it. I thought I put the puzzle together. And it's this one piece that's sticking out a little bit. 
Well, I don't I not noticed that piece before. And have, well, we we talked about it in editing and we talked about it in screenwriting, which yeah. are similar jobs in weird ways. But like you look at a great movie and you go, well, obviously it had to be that way. But it <laughs> took them 30 drafts and 90 cuts and all this stuff yeah. to find that yeah. to make it seem like it had to be that way. Same thing with acting. Yeah. yeah. Like uh, how many not not everyone is gifted to be able to show up on set and just do the scenes or whatever. Some sometimes you have to kind of go through it over. And over. Sometimes it's during a performance. You're oh, still yeah. honing the performance during the run of a play, you know. My my parents who had season tickets were and my mom still has season tickets to theater up in the Bay Area. Mm. There was one point where they had season tickets to the previews. Yeah. And until I finally said, Don't go to the previews. Yeah. Like I mean, you've been in plays, you know that like oh, yeah. those last dress rehearsals and those first, you're still kind of figuring it out. Yeah, because you don't know what the audience is gonna react nope. to. Nope. And you need to know uh, through a few performances where the audience is going to react to what or, or what they're going to do. And with a director and a film, it's just a completely different animal because they're trying to get to a spot. So you trust yeah. that the director knows the right performance to get out of you in that sequence, in that situation. That's important. Well, and frequently that ends up not being what goes in the movie because then they put right. it together and you're in post and you go, oh, this the, I th- th- worked great on set. My actor yeah. was great. Everything seemed great. And it's not happening right now. This is why actors are maniacs as well, because yeah. we don't get to choose our favorite takes. Yeah. Well, th- and that's why theater is an actor's medium. Yeah. You know, because it's just you. The director's not there. You that's know, right. if I was ever to go back to doing it, it would only ever be theater. Yeah. It would only ever be theater. That's the only I, I was never more satisfied as a performer than I was in theater even the schmodown doing the live events that's yeah. theater sure of course it those is those were great well and you were playing a part yes i was i mean there's nothing there's there's few better feelings than when you're on stage and you're just like i got him yeah i got you him oh, yeah God, you're so right you're so yeah right. and you where you can pause yep and you could just like oh they're with me yep you know it, 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 there's such a crazy symbi- symbiosis i can't even describe it's instinctive yeah i, I could i could never put it into words yeah never yeah, but anyway, yeah, uh, we this digress. Is, People are finally... dead. Let's move on. I'm sorry. You seem like a good man. He was an idiot. Why? For believing? For taking on Loki alone? This is Tony, and this is great writing, to be honest with you. So giving credit where credit is due. This is Tony playing the other side of it. It would have been a lot easier to write a scene where they both are like, yeah, we get, yeah, totally. Let's go get him. This is Tony saying in his emotionally repressed way, that you know he he was an idiot for what he did you know that there was there was a bigger picture here they didn't see and cap is so you know and there are faults in captain america ladies gentlemen i hope that's clear to people when you watch him in these movies cap is so caught up with his own brand of morality and his own brand of nobility that if you don't fit within his constraints he judges you again symbolizing america if you don't fit the thing that we think you should fit in, then we are going to judge you as the other and as deficient. And that's how uh, Cap is. And so here you're having the two different points of views slamming against each other yet again with Tony and uh, Steve. You know, it's funny. I hadn't thought about it until just now, but mm-hmm. but we talked about the fact that the basic conflict is, is Tony going to make the sacrifice? Right. And Cap is always going to make the sacrifice. Right. That's actually what this scene is about, which I hadn't thought about. Because Cap is saying it was his job. Yeah. And Tony is saying, no, he was out of his league. And then Cap says, Is this the first time you lost a soldier? We are not soldiers. Because in Cap's mind, Coulson did exactly what Cap would have done. Right. And Tony is going, we, that, why does it have to be that? You yeah. know, you, you tin pot Boy Scout. Yeah. We're not soldiers. 
Yeah. We didn't sign up to become soldiers. Fury is recruiting us to see if he can put this thing together to see if we can become a team. We're not soldiers. And I, and I, this is Tony's way of telling Steve, stop thinking the way you're thinking. You, yeah. we're, we, you've got to understand how to man manage these situations. Yeah. So they're both in there. They both, to me, they're both right and they're both wrong in this scene, which is what makes the scene a good scene. It's funny. There's been some response on social media and stuff to us doing all the Marvel stuff. And some people are thrilled about it and some people maybe less so. But oh. when we've talked about uh, some of the deeper things, yeah, I actually think the Tony Cap conflict is actually one that relates to life because yeah. there are so many times where it's like, you know what? You've got kids, you've got family, you've got responsibility, you got to suck it up and do what is sacrifice your own well-being, your own happiness to do yeah. what's right. And that's true. Yeah. And there's sometimes that we've definitely seen this in the pandemic where you need to stop and take care of yourself. Yep. You actually can't solve all the problems. Yeah. You know, even if you're a doctor and have to go to take care of someone who's sick, you, you need to go home and sleep. Yeah. Like there's sometimes where you have to say, no, I've done enough. I need to take care of myself. Yeah. That's Cap and Tony. Absolutely. I'm not marching to Fury's Fife. Neither am I. He's got the same blood on his hands that Loki does. But right now we got to put that behind us and get this done. It's a strong statement from Steve. And and I think Tony agrees. I don't yes, think there's an argument here. Now, because Tony, because with Cap saying that, now Tony goes, okay, he is not a disillusioned goose stepper for Fury. He's exactly. actually going to have critical thinking in this situation. Exactly. We can trust him a little bit more. And then we get to this plot thing, which is the 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 power source, the unlimited power source that that sustains itself needs a power source, <laughs> and that we know that it's going to need. And where is it going to find a power source? Well, obviously, that is the Stark Tower. Yeah, great play and, on Stark's ego. Yeah, yeah and, and that uh, Loki is doing this because he loves putting on a show, and so he wants us to all come because this is going to be the main event. You know, it, it all works. <laughs> I don't think it's great, but well, it all I think works. They, just like you said about the script, the MCU up to this point did not do a great job of lining up Loki as someone who has this incredible hatred of people on Earth. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I know in the first film, you know, there was this thing where he was going. He does see himself as above humans. Sure. But this idea of him wanting the biggest audience to as a fuck you to Earth, as a fuck you to humans. They did not do a good enough job to build that up to make that thing that would be something people would be like, oh, God, of course. This is more a matter of, yeah, it makes sense. He's got a fragile ego, so he wants to do it in front of everybody, which kind of undercuts Loki a little bit. So I, I, yeah. I, don't, I agree with you, Steve, your hesitancy on saying like, you know, saying this is a great plot point. I, I totally agree with you. you. You know what? I I just put my, you know, we've been talking about this whole story versus plot yeah, yeah. and the story is the character stuff is that Loki's. Loki is all plot and not story. His story, his character stuff doesn't actually make sense. It doesn't. It's it's like there was no way of even knowing that Thor was going to show up. Right. Is that what is most important to Loki? Well, it's to mess with Thor and his family. Like, what are his personal motivations? He doesn't care about the Hulk or Captain America. Like, and so, and so I don't think they really, and that's why I said, like, why exactly did Loki need to get captured? He really didn't. Yeah. If his only goal is to take over the Earth. And so I don't think that all rings true. Cap shows up with Clint and Natasha and turns to her and says, can you fly one of those jets? And it's like, you were on a jet with her flying it. <laughs> Don't you remember Thor landed on? It's like, <laughs> and then finally Thor 
picks up the hammer that he reached for like 15 minutes ago. Now he's ready to join. Now he's ready to pick it up. There's probably a scene missing there, Steve. I would it's there's something. There's some reason why they separated those two things so far apart. <laughs> We're heading to the plane, and one of the soldiers says, Hey, you guys aren't authorized to be in here. Son, just don't. <laughs> Which is great. Son, just don't. And then Agent Hill comes up to Nick Fury and says, Those cards, they were in Coulson's locker, not in his jacket. They needed the push. Let me ask you a question, because this is something that came up in the commentary track that I didn't see at all. Mm. Did you think of Agent Hill as someone who only reluctantly trusted Dick Fury and is slowly in the course of this movie first turning against him and then finally deciding to side with him? No, not at all. I don't think so at all. I saw him as her, I saw her as his right hand man, for lack of a better term, yeah. second in command. And so, no, I think she was in support of him the whole time. There's no point where she says anything remotely where she's questioning her. Yeah, uh, Joss loyalty. Whedon tracks all these moments where he says, and this is where she's not trusting him as much, and this is where she's about to turn against him, and this is where she, did, yeah, I don't think it's in the movie at all. Tony flies shakily towards Stark Tower, and there is uh, Selvig. Yeah, still crazed and tony goes to fire on it and it just it hits like a shield and there's a big explosion knocks selvig down who hits his head so we now we know okay he's gonna come out of it and there is loki who just watches as tony flies up takes off all his armor and starts talking to him yeah i don't understand why loki doesn't do anything we're supposed to understand that it's his hubris yeah yeah i agree again then you've got a weak villain a, he doesn't really have much relationship to Tony Stark, period. Right. And B, you know, do something. Like, why are you letting yeah, him just I mean, talk and talk and talk? And people might say, well, you're not supposed to like the villain. And I get it. But look at the difference between him and Hans Gruber. Gonna Hans say Gruber exact same thing. has hubris. Yeah. yeah. But the scenes with Hans Gruber are fantastic because of how they've built the character. And you've got a fantastic actor in Alan Rickman. You've got just as equally a fantastic actor, yeah. in my opinion. And in Tom Hiddleston, you've got to build the character up to make it sense why he's doing the things that he's doing. Well, and everything Hans Gruber does, he does for a reason. Yeah, exactly. An intelligent reason. Yes. Whereas Loki does a bunch of stuff where it's like, I don't know why you did that. Yeah. You know, why was that important? Please tell me you're going to appeal to my humanity. Uh, Actually, I'm planning to threaten you. (laughs) You should have left your armor on for that. Yeah. They are two good actors and the dialogue is kind of fun. What have I to fear? The Avengers. That's what we call ourselves. Sort of like a team. Earth's mightiest heroes type thing. Yes. I've met them. And while he's talking, Tony is secretly reaching out to these bracelets and putting them on. And we go, oh, that's something. They're copper bracelets. No, I'm just joking. (laughs) Let's do a head count here. Your brother, the demigod, a super soldier, living legend who kind of lives up to the legend, a man with breathtaking anger management issues, couple of master assassins and you you've managed to piss off every single one of them that was the plan so was his plan to get them at each other's throats and that's yes. why he went to the helicarrier yeah yeah he was trying to fracture them from within well it didn't work out that way because he killed agent colson yeah right exactly and that was the moment where he had a yeah he undid everything he thought he was doing that's a great question. Actually, can we stop here? Yeah. If he doesn't kill Coulson, do you think they still come together as a team against Loki? No, this is my whole this is my whole point is yeah. that there was no reason for him to go on the helicarrier. Yeah. Because if he had just gone to Stark Tower and opened up the hole and brought in the Chitari, yeah. 
it would have taken a lot longer for the Avengers to show up. He could have already taken over New York. Yeah, yeah. So there's some there's some faulty logic here for sure. There is no version of this where you come out on top. Maybe your army comes and maybe it's too much for us, but it's all on you. Because if we can't protect the earth, you can be damn well sure we'll avenge it. Again, this is yet another person in a limited amount of time on screen who are who is questioning Loki's conviction and ability mm. to do this. Right, because right. Coulson did it, and now Stark is doing it. You know, because they both again Tony as well, an ability to read people's for sure. So um, he's doing the same thing, trying to mess with his brain, trying to mess with his ego, trying to call his ability to do stuff into question, which messes with his ego. So it's smart moves all around. How will your friends have time for me? when they're so busy fighting you and he reaches out with that scepter and you think oh shit he's gonna turn tony and he hits his chest and he goes <laughs> hits it again this usually works all performance issues you know. and loki tosses tony out the window and as tony falls the armor assembles around him and he's in it just before he crashes into a person on the street yeah flies back up and says and there's one other person you pissed off his name is Phil. And shoots him. Which is funny. And we say that as a kind of callback to where he said, I thought his first name was Agent. Uh, so it's absolutely him saying the Phil is kind yeah. of putting. And at that moment, the Tesseract fires up in the sky and there's a big hole in the sky. And we are about to enter the Battle of New York. I don't know how you want to handle this, but all right. I, I thought about breaking it up like the other stuff, but I actually don't think it makes sense. I think we have to go sequentially. It sure. is 27 minutes long. Yes, it is. I think it has a lot of good moments. I enjoy the battle. Yeah. I'll be honest with you. I, re- I rewatched it again for the third time um, since we started recording these episodes uh, for this uh, particular episode. And I just, I like the battle. It's an easy 30 minutes. It really is. There's, it, it's, it's, you get the character work, you get them coming together, you get them fighting off the Chitari, and all these uh, people who are complaining about Man of Steel with, um, you know, uh, Zod, Zod and, yeah. and Clark are destroying Manhattan. The same thing is happening here. And and pe- you're actually seeing people on the ground. And there's no way they all survived. And clearly at the end, you see the 9-11 type things of people putting pictures up and, and uh, tributes up to lost loved ones. So whereas in, in Man of Steel, you don't see the people who die. It isn't until Batman v Superman that they make it, that they make it a thing. Uh, here in Avengers, it's very clear that people died. Well, the big difference, there are two big differences for me, and I know obviously you like Man of Steel a lot more than I do. Yeah. The, the one is is that you actively see how hard the Avengers are constantly working to save people's lives. Right, as opposed to where you see Clark and Zod just fighting and they don't take into consideration yeah. that they might be killing people. Absolutely fair. Yeah. That's an absolutely fair difference. But, you know, factually, they both cause absolutely. the same no. amount of damage and it, probably the same amount of death. The issue to me is not the damage. The issue right. to me is, but part of it is, Clark is one person. The Avengers is a team. Yeah. So the Avengers can have some people that are less powerful saving humans' lives while the more powerful people are fighting the Chitari. You know, that that makes more sense. The other thing I think for me, and and I'm, you would disagree, but the the story elements are working better in this fight scene in terms of the character development for me. Uh, fair. Um, well, and, and what I'll say is the, the last piece of my story versus plot lecture yeah. is – that in really good ones, 
the climactic story moment coincides with climactic plot moments. Mm. And so a perfect example of this is the original Star Wars movie where you have Han Solo, who is the rogue, who is only in this for the money, doesn't really care. And when it's time to fight the final battle, says, listen, I got my I got paid. I'm leaving. And at the climactic moment where Luke is about to be killed, in comes the Millennium Falcon and you hear Yahoo, you're all clear, kid. That is the resolution of his character happening at the precise climactic moment of the plot of the movie and destroying the Death Star. And that is why it is so satisfying. And we all would cheer. You know, that was a you cheer in the movie theater kind of moment when you first saw that. You know what I mean? And there are multiple moments like that. I don't think any of them are quite at that level. But there are multiple moments of that happening inside this battle scene. Yeah. Um, By the way, all of this New York stuff is all in Cleveland except for the stuff that's in Albuquerque. <laughs> All of New York is added by ILM digitally. Wow. Yeah. And it looks really good. It does look good. Yeah. Wow. Um, and in come the Chitari, the first things that come in, I think they call them the chariots, which are the kind of the smaller little yeah. vessels. Then Loki comes out on Stark Tower and his big helmet appears, and there is Thor. Look around you. You think this madness will end with your rule? too late to stop it no we can together and loki stabs him someone should count sometime how many times thor tries to talk to loki (laughs) because it's a certain point where it's just like thor what are you doing man steve i forget do you have a sister i do yeah older sister so you i mean you know you get it family It's true. I, I guess. I guess. But my sister hasn't actually repeatedly tried to kill me. No, but I mean, I'm sure I your mean, sister has repeatedly or you've repeatedly done the same thing over and over again in your other family. It's true. Oh, you have 100%. said that, you stop looking doing this. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. It's the sad truth of it for sure. But needless to say, the conversation doesn't go very well no. and they fight. I also don't understand as much as I don't understand why Thor continually tries to persuade Loki to be a good, better person. Yeah. I don't understand why Loki continually goes toe to toe in a physical fight with Thor. Well, I don't understand how he can hold his own when the Iron Man's just been like shooting him all over the place. Like it's kind of weird how Loki can all of a sudden hold his own against Thor, but he's getting destroyed by Iron Man. So I, I, yeah, well, and Loki should be the trickster. He should be doing right. smart, clever moves, not just, you know rocky four style going fist to fist with a guy that's way more powerful do they clearly had a plan for loki down the road that he was going to be redeemed in some way so they didn't want to make him overly sinister and i think that was a bit of a mistake now in retro although people i love the loki series and i love hiddleston as loki now in retros when you watch some of these movies it does feel like well it wasn't quite as cool as you were hoping it would be like it was it didn't 100 percent work like you thought it might and i think that's comes through in moments like this frankly and and, you know it's funny we had you weren't a part of it which was too bad but we had that conversation of the best movie Mm. franchises when you were when you were sick with covid i was dying (laughs) yeah (laughs) i'm glad you made it back um but frankly so much of i i like the marvel universe but there's a lot of disappointment i mean a lot and particularly you know the loki series i the first few episodes i was like this is so great and then by the end i was kind of like okay and there's a lot of there's a lot of Marvel that's like that. That's the person writing Secret Wars too. So I'm really like I like like I said I like the Loki series, but I agree with you that near the end that the last couple episodes you just got there's some decisions that were made with big characters. You're like what? 
And um, I really did not like Multiverse of Madness. So I have a genuine fear about this guy writing Secret Wars. I hate multiverse of man. I think yeah, it's terrible. Ditto, ditto. Well, and, 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 and this goes into, and again, it goes to what, what we're talking about. What works here is yeah. the setup of what we want to feel satisfied. This movie's going to give to us mo- almost entirely. Yeah. And in so much of, of, of the later Marvel in particular, the setup is really interesting. Yeah. And then the delivery at the end, it doesn't really deliver. Right. Multiverse of madness. I don't even think the setup's interesting. I just think that movie's a mess, but we'll talk about that more in 10 years. <laughs> no, we won't. But go ahead. Yeah. Maybe on a live show. It'll be a live show. That's definitely a live. That might be a live show. That and Eternals might be a double live show oh, because I, I don't even want to I honestly don't want to rewatch those movies. So and now Cap, Clint, and Natasha are all down on the ground and we hear this huge like roar and they look up. And now if the smaller ships from the Chitari weren't enough, now the giant, I think it's called the Leviathan, comes through. That's a really cool design, I think. It is. It is. Yeah. Smart too. Why is it smart? It's essentially a, a, you know, armored carrier because soldiers are jumping out of the side of it. So that's what you've got. Stark, you seeing this? Seeing. Still working on believing. Where's Banner? Is he showing up yet? Banner. Just keep me posted. Because Tony is confident that Bruce is going to show up. You think you can hold him off, Captain? Be my genuine pleasure. I like that his his quiver that it's his quiver spins around. Yeah. And so what I think happens is it's actually all the arrows are the same and it spins them to different tips. Oh yeah. Do different things. Yeah, that's yeah. what I think happens. I think that's really cool. Just like Budapest all over again. You and I remember Budapest very differently, <laughs> which I think is really funny. And then we're with some cops who are really stressed out. Cause it's going to take a long time for the army and the national guard to get here. And cap shows up. It just gives a list of orders. You need men in these buildings. There are people inside and they're going to be running right into the line of fire. You take them through the basement or through the subway. You keep them off the streets. I need a perimeter as far back as 39th. Why the hell should I take orders from you? And then Cap wipes out like 10 Chitari and the cop immediately starts giving out Cap's orders. For those of you who don't know, that's Michael O'Keefe. Oh, yeah. Who was in, who was of course in a number of films and of course was the guy who beat up Jackie and Roseanne for the guys who remember he was oh. uh, Laurie Metcalf's boyfriend. In Roseanne. I, I have never watched Roseanne. Oh, okay. Yeah. That was yeah. a big storyline when that happened. I'm sure. Pretty insane. And this is a great moment of understanding Cap's character and his effect that he has on people. Yeah. And we cut back and forth between different people fighting. There's a great moment where Clint slides like forward and fires while sliding. And Jeremy read, that's all Jeremy Renner. And yeah. He moves really, really well, and he does a thing that's hard, which is to be very, very still in the middle of a movement. Yeah. yeah. You know, his body is very controlled, uh, which really helps. Thor comes down, and we hear... How do we do this? As a team. And now Cap lays out a plan. Loki's going to keep this fight focused on us, and that's what we need. Without him, these things could run wild. We got Stark up top. He's going to need us to... And then he's interrupted by the sound of a motorcycle, and there is Banner. And now we have the whole team. And I think it's I think it's Harry Dean Stan's motorcycle. That's what I think in my mind. Oh, of it's course one it of is. These old puttering motorcycles, yeah. so it feels yeah. like something Harry would wear would ride to work. And Bruce says, "So this all seems horrible." <laughs> <laughs> He's great, Doctor Banner. Now might be a really good time for you to get angry. 
And Banner, while walking forward towards the giant leviathan, says, That's my secret, Captain. I'm always angry. And turns into the hole. Great transformation. It's great. And again, this is what was his story. His story was his relationship with the Hulk. We kept hearing about this secret. And so this moment that we finally says, I'm always angry and turns into the Hulk. It's really satisfying. It's a satisfying story moment. And man, watching the Hulk roar and take out that first Leviathan is awesome. That's my character, man. I love that. I love the Hulk. It is your character. (laughs) (laughs) I, uh, I'm not sure which Marvel character I am. I have to think about it. Maybe the Beast. That might be me. Oh, yeah. I could see that. Sure. From X-Men. I could yeah. totally see that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. After that, the team is all together. And Tony Stark says, Call it, Captain. Yes, he does. Is He has said, okay, you are our leader. Yeah. So that's another story re- resolution that happens right there. And I don't think that happens without that scene. Exactly. That you were talking about that was rewritten so many times because that's Tony trusting Cap. And he knows Cap can lead this team. And better than he can. Better than he can, yes. Yeah. That that's not where he's at his best. Until we can close that portal, our priority is containment. Barton, I want you on that roof. Eyes on everything. Call out patterns and strays. Stark, you've got the perimeter. Anything gets more than three blocks out, you turn it back or you turn it to ash. Can you give me a lift? Right. Better clench up, Legolas. <laughs> it's one of my favorite Tony lines. And Hulk. And Hulk turns to him with this angry, fast look. <sighs> and he says, smash. And the smile on the Hulk. <clears throat> and he just goes off destroying everything. And this is what I mean. This is so, this is the satisfying conclusion of the story all coming together. That's what's making this work. Absolutely. And there's, look, there's all sorts of great stuff, great moves by Barton. There's Barton working together with Tony because he's the lookout. There's uh, Natasha and Cap protecting people. There's the Hulk just destroying in a very satisfying way. By the way, so so this is the viaduct sequence where we have Natasha and Cap, Mm -hmm. and that's shot in New Mexico. And what they did is that they had a parkour guy, because you got to have a parkour guy. Parkour. Yeah. yeah, and what <laughs> what they did was they had him design the set oh. for him to, to create an obstacle course that he could run through and look really cool being Cap. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, he didn't design the set, but he was involved in, like... He was all, involved in the design of the set. Exactly. Yeah. You want to get up there, you're going to need a ride. I got a ride. I could use a boost, though. You sure about this? Yeah. It's going to be fun. And she runs and jumps on his shield and he pushes her up. She lands on one of those chariots, takes out one guy. And I guess so the the drivers of the chariots are like connected to them. And so yeah. she stabs him and is controlling the chariot through controlling the guy. She ratatouille him, man. <laughs> she did. She got up. She stabbed him both of his sides uh, behind him. Yeah. And then was telling him, turn, turn, turn. So, yeah, she's in control. And then uh, we follow Iron Man, and there's this thing where it's basically all in one shot. It's all pretty much digital. Yeah. And they they called it the tie-in shot. And the basic idea was they wanted to move through all of our people. And so you see this moment where Iron Man shoots, and it reflects off Cap's shield, and that goes up to Clint, and he shoots an arrow, which we follow, and it crashes, and then we're with the Hulk, and then we're with Thor. And it's, it was a very, very, very complicated special effects shot and going to be very expensive and so much sure that they – they almost dumped it wow. they almost said we just can't do this and then finally they said no no this is the most important effect shot in the whole movie 
them all working together as a team. Right. And it ends with um, Hulk, like, ripping a piece off of, sh- of a ship and driving it into something and Thor hammering it down with his hammer. Yeah. And that's sort of the climax to destroy. I think it's one of the Leviathans. And then there's a pause. Yeah. And Thor is happy and he's standing next to Hulk. And then out of nowhere, Hulk punches him in the face. Getting him back for that fight on the helicarrier. Well, and it's also, it's like the moment where Thor is talking to Loki and says, you know, you have to listen to me. And then Iron Man hits him and Loki goes, I'm listening. Like, <laughs> just loves that sort of unexpected guy comes and slams into someone out of nowhere thing. And the little the little smirk on Hulk's face is so great after that moment. Yeah. You, you have so many thoughts on your face about that smirk. I just love that because that's it was his punching of Thor and the smirk is not about, you know, it's dude stuff and him punching. Oh, him. yeah. It's like him saying, you know, got your back, you son of a bitch. <laughs> that's great. And here, the, the element of the Hulk that is created in this movie and that exists entirely going forward is totally absent from the other Hulk movies, which yes. is we love the Hulk. We love him yeah. because of moments like this and another moment, which we're about to get to. Right. <laughs> um, uh, we rescue a bunch of people from a bank. During that, we see this one woman get rescued. Yeah. Who is the woman that was in the deleted scene in the cafe that we're also going to see later on. And then we have cut away from all of this to this weird security council thing where they're telling uh, Fury that they've made a decision, which is to call in a nuclear strike against Manhattan. I, w- I felt that was a lazy thing too, in terms of the writing and the story. Cause I was like, Oh, a nuclear bomb. I've seen this in so many movies, call in the nuclear strike. You know, I, I was, I think it would have been very inventive to have gone another route with that, but I understand why they do it. You know? I totally agree. I think it's the cart, you know, driving the horse Yeah. because they said, how are we going to give Tony a moment of self-sacrifice? That's why this is happening. Yeah. I, I just don't believe that this choice would be made this quickly. Right. It, it's too nuts. Um, but he he refuses. Fury says, no way. And then uh, Loki, who's on one of the other chariots, is chasing Natasha. And I love she calls to Clint and goes, a little help. I got it. He's aiming an arrow at him. And the arrow flies. And in a super cool, super fast moment, Loki just easily catches the arrow. And we go, yeah. oh, shit. And in the next moment, it explodes. And then we're back on Stark Tower. And Hulk has showed up, and Loki is there, and he's charging at Loki, and Loki yells, Enough! And Hulk stops. You are all of you beneath me. I am a god, you dull creature, and I will not be bullied by that. They had actually tied a rope to Tom Hiddleston's legs, oh. to his ankles, and he's standing on like a pad. Yeah. And they just yank his feet out from under him, and we cut to, I think this is the greatest moment in the movie. Yes. It is the movie, it is the mo- uh, the scene where I shot out of my chair involuntarily, uh, or instinctively rather, and started clapping really loudly in the theater. And I'm sure I annoyed some people around me, but it was a genuine reaction. And, my, and our friend Brian Siegel, who is a Marvel guy, was sitting behind me and he, was, he's, he still brings it up to this day, saying that, that was one of his favorite moments in a movie theater. It, because it, it was a pure moment of just absolute joy because I love the Hulk so much. And so seeing him ha- and something I've wanted to do, you know, in my mind sometimes oh, to yeah. assholes, 
uh, who are really mean to people or who ask or just fucking assholes is to grab them by their legs and just absolutely smash them into fucking cement over and over again. So it's a fantasy that came true on screen and I didn't see it coming. And it was one of the most beautiful fucking moments I've ever seen on screen. It is so great. And, and I, I, I so remember seeing it and just being like, yes. Yeah. And the moment, and part of what makes it so great is so, you know, as everyone has seen this, but Hulk has Loki by the ankles and is bashing him into the ground. It's the moment that he pauses. A pause. Yes. And looks and go, no, I'm not quite done and bashes him some more. And then walking away, and I think the team of Mark Ruffalo and the animators, because yeah. the moment they walk it away, and he goes, puny God. Yeah. It's so, just the best. And, and the, the little whimper. The cherry is the whimper. Yeah. The cherry is the uh, uh, Yeah, that's perfect. So perfect. Yeah. Here's what Joss Whedon said. And again, we can have lots of problems with him for many, many reasons. But he said that if he had done nothing else, I think he said in his life... <laughs> He could be happy because he made this moment. Yeah, it's fair. And I'm like, you know what? Yeah. It worked. It is so great. Yeah. And now Natasha is down with Selvig at the, at the machine, and we basically hear that because the scepter is connected to the Tesseract, that it's the one thing that could basically turn this thing off and close the portal. And now a pilot is leaving the helicarrier with a nuclear bomb, Fury destroys a plane with uh, a rocket launcher. We go, oh, cool. It's fine. But then another one takes off. Yeah. And we reach very quickly after that Hulk moment, kind of a low point. Everyone's kind of starting to lose now, including Tony, who's in the midst of a fight and not doing well. And Fury calls him and says, you have a missile headed straight for the city. I can shut the portal down. Do it. No, wait. Stark, these things are still coming. I got a nuke coming in. It's going to blow in less than a minute. And I know just where to put it. You know what Joss Whedon didn't like about this and what he was hoping nobody would think of that I never thought of until I heard him say it on the commentary track? Yeah. Superman. The, oh, yeah. the, the first movie where Superman right. is catching nuclear bombs. Yeah. Good point. And he's like, I, I really don't want to be imitating that. But he couldn't come up with another way to do this. Stark grabs the missile. Stark, you know that's a one-way trip. Again, this is the resolution. Will Tony Stark sacrifice his life? Yeah. And this is him going, yeah, I'm going to do it. Almost thought Ed Harris was going to show up and start typing and knew this was one way ticket as a message. But yes, because it reminded me of the abyss moment. As soon as he says it, it reminds me of that abyss moment. I thought you were going to say it reminded you of Armageddon. No, because this dip, uh, Harry's planting a, I don't know, I guess it's different in my mind because, yeah, yeah it's just different. It's just yeah. different. Can't explain it. It's just different. And then we're out in the black and the bomb explodes. And here's the deal, Steve. How did he know his armor was going to be to exist in space? Like that's well, I don't think he did. I thought he's going to die. Yeah, I mean that's the whole thing. How did his arm? I mean, I just I need to understand. Yeah, good point. Good point. Again, again. So you're saying that you don't think the physics quite exists in the Avengers? I don't know if his suit was tested to handle space and a nuclear explosion. Right, Right. and a nuclear explosion. I mean, yes, it's better than a refrigerator, but I still don't think. I don't care what kind of suit you're in; you're not surviving a nuclear explosion. Sure. But he closes his eyes. Everyone's looking up. We see, you know light shoot out we see tony falling the portal is closing and then just of course at the last second tony falls through the portal they're all watching him fall and they go he's not slowing down 
Thor spins his hammer because he's going to go fly up. And then out of nowhere, the Hulk charges and catches him, which I like. Yeah. I also like the way when the Hulk drops to the ground, he doesn't put Tony down gently. No. He just kind of tosses him. They get his face off. They go, he's not breathing. And we're like, oh, shit, Tony's dead. And then the Hulk roars, which wakes him up. <laughs> nice foreshadowing, by the way, of what's going to happen oh. uh, later in the uh, in the Marvel Universe. I hadn't even thought of that. Okay, but I will say this. Once again, Captain America, Tony's gone. Close the portal. If that was Bucky, he'd have left that portal open all fucking day and night. And that's the difference. Captain is sliding scale of who he's willing to break the rules for and who he's not. And I I find that to be something that I really have trouble with with him, with some of his decisions because he's the one... We haven't seen Tony come back. Even Scarlet, Black Widow rather, is saying, come on, Stark, come on. She wants him to come back down. But uh, I mean, clearly they heard the explosion or something because they must have assumed with all the Chitari going down, clearly Tony accomplished the mission there. But so there's no Chitari to worry about coming through the portal. Now, some of you might be hearing my voice and yelling at your computer or yelling uh, while you're walking with us in your ears saying, he didn't know that. I know he didn't. But the fact that he wasn't willing to wait screen time just a little bit longer for Stark to come through and let it close, he just commanded the portal to close. That, to me, bothers me. Because he breaks so many rules for Bucky. But for Tony, he doesn't. And the same thing later on in Civil War. Hey, you got to forgive Bucky for killing your fucking parents. And it's like, what? You held it from me. Why didn't you tell me that he killed my parents? Oh, because you were protecting your friend. So, again, I just feel like Captain isn't as Captain as y'all might think. So, Well, you've said many times in this show, Captain America is America. Yeah, he's America, right. And is America inconsistent about who they're willing to sacrifice for or who's worth saving? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think they're real inconsistent. And it's funny, so, so I hadn't thought about it. Do the Chitari all fall before they close the portal? Yes. You're totally right. Then you're totally right. They Why close fall. the portal? Why not give it another second? As soon as that nuclear missile hits that huge ship in space, which, of course, is just a leap in logic like crazy, everything, all the Chitari fall, the little, the big, uh, whatever it is, the snake thing, whatever that thing is, falls on top of a building, and Tony falls, right? Tony's going backwards. And Cap doesn't wait until Tony comes through to tell him to close the portal. He says, close the portal before Tony comes through, even though he's seen all the Chitari go down. So. I think you're, t- I hadn't thought about that, but you're totally, totally right. And, and listen, again, it's going to be six years from now or something when we do <laughs> Infinity War, but, or, or not Infinity War when we do a uh, Civil War. Civil it might, War. It's probably not that far from now. Yeah. Um, you and I are on the same page. I yeah. don't. I think Cap is willing to make way too many sacrifices for Bucky. He's, you know, people give him way too much of a pass because he marches around in the red, white, and blue. There's, there's, Cap has a sliding scale of shit, man. And there's definitely, yeah. a, a, you can absolutely tear him apart with some of his decisions. I mean, look, you know, I love you like a brother, but if I found out that you had assassinated like 50 people, <laughs> even if you weren't in control and the police yeah. said, look, we're going to have to take him to jail, I would be like, John, I love you, and I will do the cinephiles with you from jail. Yeah, from jail. But I'm not breaking you out. You killed Absolutely. 50 people, Absolutely. you know? You got to answer for your crimes, man. Um, but Tony wakes up, 
And there's, you know, some jokes about I hope nobody kissed me, which I don't think plays all that well. That's Sweden for you. It's yeah. also a decade ago. You know what I yeah. mean? Like, like we, we, those, those jokes were so common. Yeah, true. You ever tried shawarma? There's a shawarma joint about two blocks from here. I don't know what it is, but I want to try it. So again, this was just Robert Downey Jr. goes to Joss Whedon and says, give me some stuff. And Joss threw out a bunch of ideas and one of them was shawarma. And it was just him improvising. That's where this came from. Are you a fan of shawarma? Um, I, not really. I, I like Greek food, mm -hmm. but I like like the wraps with grilled chicken and the mm. you know all of that. I'm a big fan of that. But the shawarma is that kind of shredded spiced chicken. It's not for me. It's not for me. It's not shredded so much as it's uh, well, kind of. No, it kind of is. Kind of right. Kind of. A little it's bit. on the vertical spit, and you know. Yeah. Anyway, it's also burnt. It's just not for me. There's apparently this a place, a couple of places in Turkey, which have this kind of thing that is I've heard is like the greatest meat anywhere in the world. Yeah, I've heard it from multiple sources. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> multiple sources. I have. Listen, you know, I pay attention to food stuff. It's true. It's and then Loki is struggling to get to his feet and he looks up and he looks right into the shot, which Fucking is money shot, man. Yeah. Clint in the foreground with the arrow knocked and all the other guys behind and around. And, and Loki says, if it's all the same to you, I'll have that drink now. Uh, so we've won. And we basically do. It's interesting because they kind of leap forward in time to yeah. show our guys showing up in Central Park, but then kind of leap around in time as we see the basic different reactions to what's happened. A lot of people getting Avengers tattoos and praising the Avengers and a few people expressing their distrust of the avengers and then we also cut to stan lee who says superheroes in new york Give me that cg where the guys are standing it, that's some terrible cg yeah. they did not spend money on that cg where the guys are standing around that green screen shit yeah that is bad <laughs> that is really bad the the stan lee stuff is cool um but i do like that they throw in these questions. So they're laying the groundwork for yeah. these questions. Right? The, the, you have the young black couple saying, okay, cool. But I, you know, the guy's like, I don't know if I trust these guys. And the black woman saying, yeah, they're not telling us everything we need to know here. And then we see that senator who happens to be a Democrat. I don't know why they felt the need to chose a side. They could have just said senator. These so-called heroes have to be held responsible for the destruction done to the city. Good laying of the groundwork of some of the questions they're going to confront going forward in the MCU. Um, and you see this woman who says, Captain America saved my life. Wherever he is and wherever any of them are, I would just, I would want to say thank you. And that is the woman that was cut out of the deleted scene at the cafe who talked to Steve Rogers at the beginning, where we also saw Stanley in his other appearance. And this is the one he saved like near the bank. And, and to be fair, that is Ashley Johnson, who has worked consistently in our <laughs> world for the last few years being a part of a series regular blind spotting a series mm -hmm. regular on the, on the uh, critical role series, which everybody loves. And just recently in the animated legend of Vox Machina. So she is, mm -hmm. she's quite fine. Even if she was cut out of this sure. sequence. So she's been working consistently for quite some time. And now fury is back with the council and they are not happy about the way things have ended up, which we're kind of intercutting with, which we see our guys in central park, which by the way, this is the only thing they actually shot in New York. Mm. And there's paparazzi and crowds everywhere when we were shooting this. So it was a real pain to shoot. And we hear that Loki is going back with Thor with the Tesseract to Asgard, which the 
council is definitely not happy about. And I honestly, I wouldn't be happy about it either. I won't, don't trust yeah. Asgard. Who are you to decide, make this decision for yeah. us? Right, exactly. Cap shakes Tony's hand, and Tony and Bruce get in a very cool looking convertible and they head off. And we're hearing this conversation with the council saying, I don't think you understand what you've started letting the Avengers loose on this world. They're dangerous. They surely are. And the whole world knows it. Every world knows it. And then we cut to a last moment with Agent Hill and Nick Fury, where she says, which in Joss Whedon's mind is her finally accepting that Nick Fury's way to do things is the right way to do things. I don't read that at all. Yeah, that's weird. We get into a situation like this again. What happens then? They'll come back. You really sure about that? I am. Why? Because we'll need them to. And we have dramatic music as Nick walks away. And then we cut to the wrecked Stark building and Tony and Pepper working out new design plans. And the camera pulls back and back to reveal the building under construction. And of the word Stark that was up on top of the building, only the letter A remains. (laughs) Originally, this was the final shot in the battle. Mm. And Kevin Feige, Kevin Feige, of course, said, buddy, that's the end of the film. Yeah. And then we have credits. And now we have our first post-credit sequence where we're out in space. And this is such a moment where the people in the know went, it's Thanos. And the people not in the know went, who the fuck is that guy? (laughs) (laughs) And by the way, I like the construction of this Thanos a little bit better than the than the Josh Brolin Mm. construction uh because this is not josh brolin this is right. someone else but the turn the way the face is done it is spot on thanos yeah. the way they did him later of course because they had to do cgi and all of that for josh brolin but this was the better look in my opinion and then with the credits roll and then we cut to and i think a piece of sheer genius yeah, them eating shawarma. And by the way, this was, I think this was added after the yeah, premiere. It was. it was. Yeah. So they had premiered the movie and then before they released it, they decided to add this scene. Uh, Chris Evans had grown a beard yep. for, for something else. So he's wearing like a prosthetic chin and you could see he's holding his hand in such a way so you don't see it too much. And I think they stay on these guys sitting, eating shawarma in the wrecked shawarma place the perfect amount of time Yeah, yeah. in silence. I was waiting for something to fall off the wall. Yeah. You know, totally. that classic thing you yeah. see. Um, uh, but uh, yeah, it was a perfect amount. And then it goes, and then it goes dark. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, in post, there are 2,200 visual effect shots wow. in this movie completed by 14 different companies, Oof. including ILM digital domain and Weta, mm. which are the three, you know, the biggest companies, but like, yeah. that's just crazy. Uh, it was promoted at the 2010 Comic-Con panel. Were you at that one? I was in Hall H. I remember when they all came out. Shannon and Mike and I were there. Yeah. Geek Buddies were there. Yeah, it was great. And they did another panel in 2011. And this is in the, this is in the beginning of that, I think. Mm-hmm. You know, when the yes. Comic-Con started to become really, really important. Yeah. The first trailer. You remember when we used to watch trailers on iTunes movie trailers? <laughs> yeah. The first trailer was downloaded 10 million times in 24 hours, Yeah, which I'm sure the numbers today blow that away. Right. But at that time, that was a huge deal. Yeah. And they had, they were marketing it on Twitter. They had time tie-ins and comics and toys and Harley Davidson and Acura and Baskin Robbins. I mean, this is a 
mush marketing machine. Yeah, 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 for sure. And cross promotion, video games, all that stuff. It was not called the Avengers in the UK. Do you know why? Uh, no, why? Because oh, of, the, of the Avengers TV show. Exactly. Oh, yeah. So in the UK, it's Marvel's Avengers Assemble. Right. And uh, it premiered on April 11th, 2012 at the El Capitan. Joss Whedon fought for sole credit on the mm. screenplay, but didn't get it. It was shared uh, with Zach Penn. And it did okay, I guess, in the box office. <laughs> Grossing $1.5 billion, the yeah. third highest grossing movie of all time. Insane. And that is the end of phase one. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure what my my final thoughts are. Is I, I've said what I think the problems with the film are. I've said what I think the strengths of the film are. But the real strength of the film is more than anything else. This launches the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yeah. it Because, again, as I said at the beginning, when the, in the first part, like, this is the film that gave Marvel fans confidence and movie-going yeah. fans confidence that we were in good hands. They nailed it. They got it right, which is why Justice League, the Joss Whedon version, ironically yeah. enough, told the DC fans once and for all, they don't have an idea, any no. idea what the fuck they're doing. This is going to be terrible, right? And whereas the Zack Snyder version is much, much better. And Steve, I know you have issues with third act. but like, I, know, I agree. Oh, it's we, much, much better. Yes. Absolutely. Fair point. Fair point. And so it could have given people confidence if that Justice League had come out instead of the Joss Whedon one and let people decide for themselves whether it was good or not. Uh, and so the same, but the, obviously we're talking about Avengers. This just gave people confidence. And now, and it set the bar. So going forward, this is what it was going to be judged by every movie almost um, uh, until the, for, the, to, for the next few phases, for sure. You know, it just occurred to me just in terms of the Marvel versus DC thing. And if, mm. if we wanted to, we could just, you know, have uh, Mike Kalinowski and Mike Vogel here and then they could just go oh, off. Great. On it. No, thanks. You've dealt with that so much. I've heard it for years and years and yeah. years. Um, both on and off the mic. Yes. Um, yes. But here's what I would say. There's a there's a great quote from Steve Jobs. And what he says is that sometimes the most important decision a CEO makes is to say no. Mm hmm is that it's what you choose not to do that actually is the most important and most difficult decisions. I think that is where DC and Warner Brothers has really failed. Yeah. Is that they don't say, you know, someone says, okay, we want to, and even some of the things that are really good, like, oh, we want to do this. Okay, yeah, go do that. Oh, we want to do this. Okay, do that. And so they're all spread out and confused and unclear of like, whereas Marvel, particularly phase one and phase two and into phase three, they're like, we're doing this. Yeah. This is what we're doing. And it was very clear. Yeah. Having now a plan, it, yeah. the plan matters. Now in phase four, I think we're much more in the, well, we're going to do some of that, and we're going to do some of that, and we're going to do some of that, and it's not all hitting as well. As and it it's wants. okay because they've earned enough credit to try things and see what yeah. works and what doesn't yeah. work, and then learn the lessons from that and go forward. Tiger Woods kept fucking with his swing the whole yeah. time he played golf. And every single time he came back and won a Masters or won a, won a major, so yeah. you just have to let the great ones do the things that they're doing because they've got they're gonna they're trying to figure out something else, they're trying to take something to the next level and criticize it all you want. They're figuring something out, right? And while I think a lot of things have been very mixed, yeah, there was just a moment that happened in a Marvel TV show last week that I went, this was fucking awesome. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. Um, which is She-Hulk, by the way. Mm -hmm. So uh, I think, did you, was that your final thoughts? Are you good? Or you got oh, well, final thoughts. Uh, this is a fun film. I think it's great to revisit this film to remember why you fell in love with the MCU. 
Does it have some growing pains? Yes. Does it have some stuff where you see the Joss Whedon approach that isn't the best approach? Yes. But overall, there's some great writing here, some good scenes. The characters that are established here are the characters that we will connect to and their interactions with each other. These are the relationships that we will connect to going forward in the MCU all the way up to um, Avengers Endgame. And so we don't get everything that happens after the MCU and really enjoy these relationships and the complexity of these relationships without this film. This film does just an incredible job of giving you that foundation so that you can enjoy Civil War, enjoy all the things that come afterwards, including pieces of Ultron, uh, uh, which I'm not the biggest fan of, uh, and 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 so much more in, 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 in Infinity War and Endgame and in their separate films as well. When they pop up in each other's films, it gives you so much to enjoy. So to me, that's the legacy of this movie is it absolutely put a massive tempo in the ground that Marvel and their movies were going to be something for everybody to contend with because most the studios and most filmmakers really didn't know what was going to happen after Avengers. And now they're all very, very clear. And some of them are on board and some of them are not vocally uh, in interviews and what have you. But this was the movie that now in retrospect, in my opinion, absolutely shattered what we had known about movies before and put a tentpole in the ground for the Marvel Cinematic Universe and made them something that everyone had to deal with, was going to have to deal with. So that's what we think of the Avengers. We have officially caught up. And now I believe that our next film is Iron Man 3 sometime in may of 2023 that's our next marvel film but we would love to hear what you think not only of the avengers but all of phase one that we've now gone through and as always you can uh find us on facebook do a search for the cinephiles on instagram at the cinephiles podcast cine underscore files on twitter you can go to apple Podcasts and subscribe to the show and leave your reviews there you can go also subscribe on spotify stitcher youtube leave your comments on youtube you can buy or stream the avengers along with every other movie we've ever reviewed on cinephiles.net and definitely submit your questions for our upcoming 300th episode q a to the cinephiles 1941 at gmail.com and if you join us on Patreon at the $10 level or above, you can have a live conversation with John and I coming up very soon. And also our upcoming watch along of Air Force One. Yeah. Uh, and if you want to reach me, you can do it at SR Morris on Twitter, SR Morris One on Instagram. John, how would people reach you? Get off of my helicarrier. Uh, you can find me at the Roca says on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. The Outlaw Nation on Twitch um, and uh, my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash John Roca says, and all my other podcasts, uh, The Geek Buddies, The Top 10, Strong Style, and The Hot Mike. So I think that's it for this week. We will see you next time for another great film on The Cinephiles. <laughs> <laughs>